0: Hello and welcome to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Join me on the show this season on my two co-hosts, Alex Wong, who returns for season three. And Blake Murphy, who is now on the show full-time after being with us the last two years on Tuesdays. Probably for the last time. Let's hear the drop.
1: Blake Murphy. Hey, day. hey, day. hey, day. Hey, hey,
0: hey, hey, hey. what's going on Blake I feel like we've officially welcomed you to the show like four times now on the podcast version but we're back on you know live television live radio so for that audience welcome once again Blake thanks man it was uh yeah
2: nice to be here with you guys obviously nice to be back around the team on the weekend with uh practice Saturday and a. Uh, very non-competitive exhibition game yesterday. It feels uh, right back in the mix, right into looking at guys like Javon Freeman-Liberty and and seeing what they have instead of, you know, getting a a real look at Pascal and Scotty and guys like that.
0: Yeah, no, you you slid right back into your natural environment, got to the arena last night, and instantly I saw you sitting courtside with the 905 (laughs) crew, but also not the 905 crew because shouts to Chad Sanders promoted uh, to the Raptors now. But uh, otherwise, you know, we are back to... Report on everything that happens with the, the team this season. Talk about every single game. Even the win against C- Cairns last night, which uh, we will get to later on in the show. Uh, but uh, f- at least for the first segment, Alex, you're going to sort of pilot us through what's going on. So,
3: Yeah, I'm going to pilot you guys through the whole season, man. Yeah. What are you talking about just the first segment? First of all, ni hao to Blake. Ni hao. Welcome. Welcome to the show. And, and Will, you didn't tell everybody we're going to two hours. That's right. This year, That's 2 right. to 4, 2 to 4 p.m., Monday to Friday, and of course... Like you mentioned, focus will always be on the Raptors, but also expanding the show to cover the NBA at large as well. So super excited to have Blake on board, super excited to see Will every day again. So wanted to just kind of reset before we get into the preseason. You know, the Raptors last year was coming off what I would say was a disappointing, dispirited season. They lost in the play-in. I don't think the boys were happy. Nobody was happy from the coaching staff to the players to the fans.
0: Might be the first time I've ever heard of an uh, unhappy coaching staff. You know, I feel like coaching... Staff, not not to say that they don't get a right to be unhappy, but like, you know...
3: Yeah, yeah. There's,
0: you're, just, you're less important than the players, let's be honest.
3: Yeah, there's just a lot of unhappiness around. And yeah. obviously in the off season, Nick Nurse out, Darko Ryakovich in as head coach. Fred left in free agency. The Raptors picked up Dennis Schroeder, drafted Grady Dick, added Jalen McDaniels, Garrett Temple. Jakob Pertle came back. Gary Trent Jr. exercises option. So... Before we even get into the preseason, Blake, maybe I'll start with you. What are your big-picture thoughts just coming into this season in terms of expectations for this team? Yeah,
2: my expectations are more or less in line with where they were entering last season. And what that is, is, you know, if you rewind to before last season, they were coming off of a year where they made the first round of the playoffs, and they threatened the Philadelphia 76ers at least a little bit. They, they put them on, on their heels just a little bit. Of course, got down 3-0 in that series, but were able to fight back a little bit and looked like a team... That was maybe, you know, not ready to take a leap into title contention, but ready to, you know, be a player in an Eastern Conference where, yeah, we're, we're entering this year where Milwaukee and Boston. And if they figure out the James Harden stuff, then Philadelphia, those are established teams. But the East is pretty wide open once you get outside of of those teams. And I think that, you know, the expectations even coming off of a 41 win year where they lost in the play in, it was pretty joyless. Um, you lost Fred Van Vliet in free agency, who was one of your best players, even acknowledging all of that. I think the expectations for this team still should be about where they were the last couple of years, which is, you know, not at the tippy top, not contending to get out of the East, but I think this team should be aiming to at least avoid the play in. And so to do that, you know, you're a top six team in the East. I don't know how realistic that is, but I think that that is a reasonable goal and expectation for this team as they embark on the season.
0: Yeah. Um, it's not going to be easy, I think, to, to finish top six mm-hmm. for the Raptors. Um, we weren't that many games off of it last year, but I think there's just a number of teams sort of within that same group, right? I mean, are we can we honestly say that we're better than the Miami Heat, who have been to the conference finals pretty much every year, uh, the last couple of years, um, or in the finals last year, right? Can we say we're better than the Atlanta Hawks? Um, we're probably in the same group as the Atlanta Hawks. Um, can we say that we're better than the Chicago Bulls, who we lost to in the playing game uh, to End last season. So I think that that's that one portion. And I agree. Like I think it would be successful if we made it into the top six proper. Um, but I also think that like can we make this a team where players are excited to be here again, coaches are excited to be here again, they're competing every single night. You know, there was a I think my favorite versions of the Raptors watching the last couple of years has been the underrated team, underdog team. They always fight, they're really scrappy, they play together as a team. And every year you're good for, like, five to ten, like, just huge wins that you sort of didn't see coming, these upset wins, whether you were fighting shorthanded, whether you're fighting uphill, uh, whatever it was, the Raptors were always good for those. And I felt like last year that was really just not there. Like, you can't really point to many signature wins at all last season, right? So I think that getting back to that identity, play more as a group, I think Masai talked about it. He did not enjoy watching the team last year. He wanted to change the culture, and and at least so far, that's sort of what everyone has been saying. But even being around the team, you know, for training camp, for, you know, Vegas, for um, for even the preseason games, they do look like a much happier group, and I think that is sort of step one. So in your estimation then, Will,
2: obviously – it. The exact win total number doesn't really matter unless you're, you know, betting the the Vegas over-unders, which I think we'll do later
3: in the week. And we will definitely be betting on it.
2: Yeah. Um. So, you know, the difference between, say, 40 wins and 44 wins, yeah, it matters in the standings. But in terms of the caliber of team you are and where you are on your path, those couple of extra wins don't necessarily mean a ton of difference. Even last year, the Raptors okay. won 41 games. Their underlying numbers said, hey, we you, you should have been a 45-win team. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, maybe the pendulum swings too far. And this year it's like, hey, they're a 36-win team. But realistically, maybe they should be 39 or 40. But more to your point, do you think it's fair to say then that you'll be evaluating this team, you know, to reverse all, uh, an old hockeyism not it, they don't ask how they ask how many in your case you're not as worried about the how many as long as they're in that tier you care more about how they come about that and how it feels to get say 41 wins versus how 41 felt last year
0: yeah i mean first off expectations is is going to be a huge part of sort of how we determine how we sort of perceive anything in life and i think that in this case for the raptors like we had much higher expectations going into last year and even though the roster is not significantly different for this year i think the expectations are all lower so Um, I think everything will feel a little bit more positive just on that perspective of dropping expectations. But I also think the other part, too, is just, you. A, you definitely need the team identity to come back, right? That Raptors culture that Masai felt was lost, we need to recapture that, whatever that necessarily means. Um, But I think on the most basic level, it's sort of getting these guys to play hard, play unselfish, be excited to come to work. And then I think the other part is, you want that culture to come back because you want to see more development from the, the team and the players. And I felt like last year, there was such a stagnation in terms of, the younger players taking a step forward that um, that made you feel really worried about the future of the team. Because even in previous years when the Raptors didn't have like amazing prospects or anything like that, guys would just be able to work their way up and contribute. And they were always surprise contributors. There was none of those guys last year. Like a, a, the best was like Jeff Downton, Right. And you know, with all due respect, that was a two way guy. Right. So I think you need to get a team wide culture of, improvement and player uh, development this year and i think again that's probably why they brought in darko that w- that's their biggest move was just bringing in
3: darko yeah and i think that's the other thing you guys make up a, bring up a good point is like you can set the expectations like you guys mentioned like based on wins like for me i'm more interested in looking some of the some of these younger guys right scotty being the obvious one but yep. so you look at bringing in grady dick you look at even precious achua and a lot of these guys on this team like, what are you guys, when you guys are looking at it so far, I know it's been two preseason games, and they've only played one NBA team. Talk about Darko coming in, the development background, obviously. The offense looks different, all of this stuff. What have you guys seen so far in preseason that's been encouraging for you? Because I, I feel like a lot of fans coming into the season just want to feel like it's a fresh start, right? Have like we seen year.
0: preseason? We've, we <laughs> had one game against the Sacramento Kings over a week ago. Yeah, We have a whole week off where we were at practice like four straight days. Mm. Uh, They're at practice again today, by the way. And then, yeah, we'll play the Chicago Bulls tomorrow. But that game last night was not. But
3: I think, forget about the game itself. It was even
0: preseason quality. wasn't preseason. Like, that was yeah. like, shouts like to Rico, Rico Hines runs quality. Shout to the
3: Cans, Taipans. Uh, Shout out to Alfred Payton getting to run at the Scotiabank Arena court once again. But just even looking at, obviously, like things that Darko has talked about, the players have talked about, right? Like, what's, what stood out to you guys so far in preseason slash training camp In terms of just like moving forward and what you're excited about seeing from this team.
2: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is the change in offensive philosophy, right? And we can talk about things as the season goes on about, you know, what does it look like rotation wise? Darko's talking a lot about going at least 10 deep every night, sometimes maybe even deeper. Now, that's one of those things of, first of all, we went through this with Nick Nurse where there were there were preseason games last year where Nick Nurse played 18 guys.
0: So that's what preseason g- is for. Yes,
2: yeah. and so I'm just saying that Darko playing 17 last night is not something we can yeah. you know raise a banner for and assume that'll hold. We've heard lots of coaches say they're going to do this and then do something different in actuality. So we've heard Nick Nurse say that for Philadelphia right now. He's like, it's very important for young players to get minutes, and I'm like, really? It I be- I believe in the two way guys seeing actual <laughs> okay. action so that they can. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Although he did play Jeff Doughton a bunch last year on a two way contract <laughs> because. He didn't like the guys on the, uh, on the actual bench. Anyway, so all, all I'm saying is that, you know, we'll see with this rotation stuff. Darko's obviously yep. saying the right things. It's nice to see a bunch of different guys contributing. But the thing that stands out to me the most so far is there is a clear emphasis on moving the ball differently and, and moving the ball a little bit more. And we saw... Again, you're not taking anything away statistically from last night's game, but you're looking at a a night they had 34 assists and 17 turnovers. In that opener against Sacramento, I think they had 30 assists, but like 29 turnovers. So already you're seeing, you know, a little bit cleaned up there. Yes, against uh, an inferior opponent but so many of those mistakes against Sacramento were unforced anyway mm-hmm. um, so I, I think that's probably the thing I'm most encouraged by and it, it's honestly of all these things that they've talked about in the offseason and leading into this year it's the one that we can most tangibly see and, and feel as the game's going is yeah there's a lot less ISO ball. almost every single possession is going through someone at the elbow extended or, mm-hmm. or the high post if you want to call it um, so, so that's encouraging to me there are going to be a lot of bumps in the road but it's uh, it's more fun to watch stylistically yeah, I think it,
0: the style of play, especially on offense, matches sort of the overall team identity that Dark Rose brought to everything. To a man, whether you're asking the assistant coaches or management or the players themselves, everyone says Dark approach is everyone does it together. And if you're going to do that, especially on offense, you know, you're going to need to sort of have this sort of ball movement approach that you're talking about. And like. Obviously, there's so much in preseason that's like maybe it's lip service. Maybe it's sort of just actually what's going to happen. Uh, I guess we'll find find out when the regular season tips off in like about 10 days. But um, I think for right now, at least, you do see that approach, right? I remember you and I were at uh, practice on Saturday uh, where we actually got an interview with Chris Boucher. So we're actually going to run that interview at the top of the 3 o'clock hour. So stay tuned for that. That's a really fun interview with Chris as always. But when we were at practice that day, you know, you and I were talking to, to, to Coach Starko, and I even asked him, like, it feels like this year you guys are trying to emphasize creating offense through movement rather than off the dribble. Is that correct? And he just said, yeah. And I was like, okay, great. And he's like, yeah, that's exactly it. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that because I think that, especially for this team, the dribble is not something that's a strength of theirs. We don't have guys who can really attack and break down players or get their own shot that efficiently. We have Pascal who can do it the best out of that bunch. Dennis can do it sometimes. Scotty, we're hoping to get there eventually on a more consistent basis. But for the most part, this is the team that's going to have to play together to improve that half-court offense, which has been a consistent concern in the last couple years. So I think it's just stylistically, um, you know, Darko really wants to bring this new style. And at least even just watching the last first couple games, it's just, yeah. I mean, you can definitely see a concerted effort. Even when they were playing Rico Hines runs in the summer, you're like, wow, they're giving the ball to Jakob in the middle of the floor. Like, in an open pickup run, you wouldn't touch – the paint that much with your big that often, but you know you could clearly tell that this is sort of something they want to implement, and it'll be a work in progress. Uh, they definitely need more shooting, but at least they're sort of playing in a more positive approach as compared to previous years.
2: Obviously, when it comes to that movement on offense, you know the standard is kind of the Golden State Warriors, right? And, and okay, you you can't exactly crib from the golden state warriors playbook when you don't have the best shooter of all time or you know arguably one of the best shooting shooting guards of all time one of the best passing big men you you don't have steph and clay and draymond and all those other pieces there but i do think it's noticeable that Jamal malalela is coming back to the toronto raptors from the golden state warriors coaching staff Mm -hmm. and he's you know every assistant role is shared so when we we Bucket people as like offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, you know, don't get tripped up in that. Everyone's still sharing these roles. But Jama is the lead offensive assistant. And and I think that, you know, a lot of principle wise and habits wise, what they're going to try to hammer in is, hey, in Golden State, you know, everyone is always moving. Relocations, right? It's the big Steph Curry thing. No, you don't have guys who are Steph Curry, but you have a bunch of guys who can set a good screen and keep moving and you know, this Raptors team knows what it's like to play against that Golden State Warriors team and how exhausting it is defensively. I think a lot of this motion stuff is not only about, well, you don't have one-on-one guys to break a defender down and create that first advantage anyway, but it's also just about making you more difficult to play against. Even if you don't have, you know, the talent level individually on offense of the team across from you, you're making them work harder
0: defensively, mentally and physically. Yeah. And listen, I know know we're going to go back to Alex right after this, but, um, Even on a bigger scale, it's just like what we tried to do the last couple of years just didn't work. That offensive approach did not work. The Raptors are consistently like, even when they were a winning team uh, two seasons ago, winning 48 games, they were still bottom five in half-court offensive efficiency. So why not try a different approach? And and pretty much an entirely different approach. So whether it's because of need or just because of the fact that, uh, you know, you got a new coaching. I'm looking forward to at least seeing a new approach on offense. I, I actually think that there's only room to go up from here.
3: Yeah, I think it's interesting you guys talking about this new movement offense. And I think one of the biggest things in training camp right now coming into the season is like what Pascal is going to look like in this like quote-unquote new system. Mm-hmm. We heard him on media day talk about how, you know, as, as good as a player that he is, he can fit in, in any system. And I know Blake, you know, yesterday we were at the game. And afterwards, like um, Darko was talking a little bit about uh, Pascal as well. And there was some things that stood out to you, right?
2: Yeah, certainly. I, I thought it was, you know, the the most effusive praise we've heard anyone from the coaching staff for the front office throw on on Pascal over this last little bit. Um, I, I know we have a clip we can play now or, or play later, but Darko kind of raving about not just Pascal in the new system, but just the quality of player Pascal is as well. And, and what you can pull from that, I think, is that, well, that opens up a lot of options if you're a coach and you have this really versatile lead piece.
0: Yeah, let's hear that clip.
3: He's doing a great job. You cannot hide the talent. And, and he's one of the best players in this league. Yeah, you know, he, He's going to find his spots on the court. He's going to find his opportunities. I think he's going to be uh, as efficient uh, numbers-wise. I think he's just going to be able to do it with a little bit less dribble and like the more aggressively.
0: Yeah, and I think you know that last point, I think you can make Pascal more efficient. I think... You know, when, especially when the off season was happening, right? So much of the discussion was like, are the Raptors going to trade Pascal? Are they going to trade Pascal to Portland around the time of the draft? Are they going to trade him to Atlanta uh, at the start of free agency, Summer League? You know, oh my God, Pascal wasn't there. And it was confirmed that Pascal was not there just because of the fact that he's in potential trade talks, right? I think that kind of clarifies the, the, the uh, situation. And sort of that was sort of the mood and the fear. And I was like, OK, well, now he's extension eligible, but we haven't heard anything about it. I asked Masai about it um, at, at Media Day. I actually, I asked Masai about OG and Gary's extensions, but it was asked to Masai also, you know, what's where's Pascal at and his extension. And they're sort of like, we've talked about it, but again, there's nothing sort of like happening, I guess, imminently. And we haven't seen it happen imminently. Um, so I think there was all this sort of like perspective of like, we're looking at the situation through the lens of, are the Raptors trying to move off the situation? Um, but at the same time, I also think that with the new coach, um, and with Pascal, who was obviously a huge centerpiece of what the Raptors doing offensively, if you want to install a new offense, you do want to see sort of how he would adapt and sort of fit into it. And again, we've only seen two preseason games. He pretty much only played like two halves of basketball so far in, in this new system, but he's looked really good. He's looked really good, you know? I mean, if you're talking about wanting to play unselfish basketball and, and sort of playmaking um, through pretty much positions one through four, he wants to see playmaking. Uh, and I guess even five, if, if Jakob's available. Pascal's been excellent in terms of distributing the ball. I mean, he led the team in assists last night as well. Um, he's a very skilled, talented player, and I think that Pascal's perspective was always, look, it doesn't really matter what system is going to be played. I- I'm confident of my own skills as a basketball player, as a pro, to be able to adapt to it. And at least so far through two games, it seems like the coach is happy with what he's doing, and it seems like Pascal's been able to continue to play his game. And if there is room for improvement, it would be something like efficiency, right? His best year when he was most efficient was the year he won most improved player in 2018-2019. He broke out. He was the Raptors' secondary option when the Raptors won the championship. And he was super efficient that year. I think his efficiency was like true shooting 64% in 62. that 62.8. 62.8, so 63%. Like the last couple of years has been more down to 54, 55, 56 sometimes. But, you know, I think there is an opportunity to make him more efficient. And I think some of that probably is cutting down on the hardest shots in basketball, which is sort of isolation, mid-range jumpers off the triple, which is something he's really worked hard to get better at. But at the same time, hopefully in this offense, there's less of a need for those. Not only cutting
2: down on the number of difficult isolation plays and things like that, but when you do run them or or if it is a Pascal post up to open up that spin move or something like that, you know when we talk about an offense that is more oriented to create little advantages to attack from, you know getting him in a position where he's attacking he's driving at a defender who's not entirely in position to start like instead of you facing him up and dribbling and then attacking, you catch the ball and you'll hear the term point five a lot this year within half a second you have caught that ball and decided to attack before the defender can get back in position and he's a little off balance or he, or he's on his heels or the help has to come a little earlier. That's the kind of Thing that I, I think we could see, and if it, if it is effective, will make the actual scoring piece of the, of this easier for each guy because yeah. you are you know you're not being tasked with as difficult a thing. And Pascal quietly last year, by the end of the season, had like yes, not quite as efficient as his 2018 2019 season, but his 56.5 percent true shooting mark was the second highest of his career. He had the lowest turnover rate of his career, the highest assist rate of his career, career high in points per game. I don't know if he'll repeat the career high in points per game and assists per game just because I don't know if he's going to lead the league in minutes again. He probably shouldn't. Yeah. Um, but this is a guy who has shown, you know, in multiple situations, first as a bench piece, then as a, you know, most improved guy where you are, yes, playing second fiddle to Kawhi and Kyle. And that was an opportunity. But you also had to know your role in your minutes alongside those guys. Um, And then, you know, kind of being the key piece of the of the run it back year. And he's he's done this now in a couple of different situations and a couple different team contexts. So I think, yeah, you could be be very confident with his ability uh, to do this. I I guess my question for you, Will, would be and I've gotten to know Pascal and his camp a little bit over the years, but you've been around more intimately. You know, does Pascal strike you as the type of guy who. The contract situation being up in the air could have an effect on when the season starts or do you think he's able to probably compartmentalize because a good Pascal season a good Raptor season is going to keep him in a good position to, to get paid
0: anyway look I think whenever you have uh, and I've never been in this position but whatever you have <laughs> I'm going to pretend <laughs> like I personally have, I'm not, you know whenever you have like hundreds of millions of dollars uh, you know at stake uh, obviously that's going to be something that weighs on your mind it's just that's just human But I also think that the perspective, especially even speaking to the camp, is just like they know he's good sort of wherever. You know what I mean? Like uh, his stated intention is he likes being in Toronto. He really, really values uh, the opportunities that come with uh, playing in Canada, playing for Toronto in particular. He's very comfortable here. He wants to stay here long term. Um, But he knows that there's been enough work put into his game, and especially if you look ahead to next year's free agency market, I mean, he's right up there with anybody. You know, uh, in terms of he knows that money's going to come to him. Obviously, you never know with injuries or anything like that. But with the with the amount of work and the work ethic that he's shown consistently over the course of his career, he's not worried about that aspect. Um, I think from the Raptors' side, and whether this is sort of smart or not smart, I think But we've seen Messiah and Bobby take this approach with a couple of players in the past that they've had. They they like to challenge their stars to get even better. You know what I mean? And, and I think that if that means that you sort of dangle this carrot of the extension as sort of that reward for it, um, that is a sort of a risky approach, but I think they've done it in the past. They 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 kind of did it to Kyle. They did it to DeMar, right? And so I think what they're looking for in this case is for Pascal to, A, definitely fit with Darko, which I think so far, again, through as much as you can take away things after two preseason games uh, a, a week apart, um, you know, I think it looks good. He's been a happy camper, you know, things like that. All that is has is, is been good on camp and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I just think that uh, yeah, there, there is room to improve his 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 game, right? You take down some of his minutes, you recontextualize some of his touches. Maybe he comes becomes more efficient overall, right? If he doesn't have to lead the league in minutes, maybe he addresses probably the biggest weakness in his game, which is his crunch time efficiency, right? We've seen that sort of come down a lot, but at, at the same time, after you're playing 42 minutes, you might miss a jump shot at the end, you know? So free hope, throws late too. Free throws late. We saw that again in the uh, in in the, the Art of Rosen game. Um, <laughs> which, which by the way uh, I, I guess we'll I, 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 If I were tomorrow I would definitely send Diardo Rosen to the game tomorrow uh, At the United Center uh, When the Raptors play The Chicago Bulls But No but like There's those improvements To be made in Pascal's game And I think also defensively Right We know that Pascal can get To a really high level defensively But I think that When his load is so Heavy on offense And he's playing so many minutes Naturally there has to be A bit of a give And we've seen Pascal compete At a super high level defensively Can he get back to that as well. So again, like I think there's just more opportunity than anything else. And as long as everyone's sort of above board and everyone communicates well with each other, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm less worried about the situation than I was in, in the summertime. Um, and I think overall, I just appreciate the fact that we have a very talented player willing to play a variety of different roles and willing to stay long-term. Well, there's nothing wrong with this.
2: No, there's certainly not, <laughs> especially the part about willing to stay long-term, right? It's like, yeah, as long sure. as you yeah. have handled this in a way that hasn't eroded the relationship, yeah. you're still going to be able to offer him more money. Than yeah. anyone else, right? I mean, was there that deal out there
0: in the summertime that you were like, Oh wow, we
2: missed on this? I mean, not one that we heard the details of, uh huh, which is you know, this is how these things tend to work yeah. is yeah, theoretically draft compensation, but draft compensation could mean like a top fifty five second rounder or a guaranteed number one pick, right? I, like, I'm
0: just saying the best player or the most intriguing prospect was like AJ Griffin. Yeah. And and like I And I like if you AJ, liked but Kobe
2: but... Buffkin that much, and I, I do, sure. But like you would have drafted him over Grady Dick. Yes.
0: Yes, the Raptors uh, took Grady 13th, and uh, Kobe was 15th, I believe. Yes. Um,
2: Another question for you on Pascal. So over the last couple of years, and this is true of everyone, this isn't just a Pascal thing, but we, in his 2018-2019 season, where he won Most Improved Player, a huge part of that was he started knocking down threes. He hit about 37% of his threes on almost three attempts a game. He hasn't been that level of a three-point shooter since. Over the last three years, it's been low 30s. He was 32.4% last year. Now, we know that a pull-up three against the defender at the top of the floor is a much more difficult shot than a spot-up catch-and-shoot corner three. Um, Pascal himself has shot seven to eight percentage points higher on catch-and-shoot versus pull-up, mm-hmm. which is right in line with what we'd expect from guys. Um, with this new system, and particularly with the potential for Scotty Barnes to handle the ball a little bit more, do you think we'll see Pascal used differently but behind the arc, or is it still too difficult to put him in the corner given how much you want him handling and involved?
0: Yeah, so I mean he's definitely most efficient from the corners, right? That year that you're talking about when the Raptors won the championship, a lot of his spike in three point shooting was because he had a lot more corner threes versus threes at the top. I think progressively as he become more featured of a player off on, on offense, like, and as he's improved his offensive arsenal, a lot of that improvement is at the top of the floor. Right. And so he's just not naturally in the corners as much. If the Raptors had more playmakers around him, then yeah, he could go wait in the corner like OG, but he doesn't have that sort of luxury. Um, but even still i think that there's no reason why he couldn't continue to improve for example his catch and shoot efficiency above the break which is sort of like the area you want to him to be at the most and well that's the new
2: spacing dynamic in the nba yeah. right is like we have we have spaced the floor horizontally as much as we can possibly space it and teams by and large know how to defend that yeah. so now you're trying to space it vertically to to open up space in the paint that way
0: yeah and and uh, shout out to i think Savannah notices at practice but like um There's, like, the taped lines that are down Mm -hmm. at at, uh, the OVO pass facilities where they have, like, essentially like a four-point line almost. And it's not for players to shoot from there. It's just, like, a reminder sort of where to space, right? Um, But, yeah, I mean, at the same time, like, I I think with how hard Pascal works, I I never really saw uh, saw a reason why he couldn't improve his three-point shooting from above the break. It's not like he has a broken shot or anything like that. So I think there is more ability. Like, if he averaged, like, five three-point attempts per game this year, I'd be pretty happy with that you know obviously with the caveat that I would like most of those to be catch and shoot rather than pull-ups but you know I I wouldn't have any issue with that would you have any issue with that no not at
2: all and even if he ends up in the corner again why you don't have a guy like Pascal Siakam in the corner is because like you you're alluding to he's too valuable at the top of the floor creating and attacking seams and and facing guys up and things like that he took only about 30% of his three-point attempts from the corners last year so that that number is like heavily flow heavily impacted by the amount of pull up so I, I think that that's that's something they're they're probably going to look at and we've already seen it a little bit where you know hey there's this there's this DHO action on this side of the floor and the way the defense sinks in is if there's you know you fake the handoff and quickly swing it to the other side that top wing three on the weak side is going to be open until the defense recovers so you know probably ideally you want Pascal attacking the middle as that defender tries to get back in position but if that defender is late or, or Pascal's feeling it that day those top threes will be there
0: yeah and i think this also speaks to the improvements that need to be made from scotty and og as playmakers because if the the stronger they get as playmakers the more opportunities you get to put pascal in a corner where he's most efficient shooting wise but uh, i'm not too worried but i guess my last question about this before we go to break is just you know are you or should we extend it right now blake where are we at so look, you're, you're really great with the money and all that kind of
2: stuff. Yeah. And look, the money is going to take some time to wrap your head around numbers wise because the salary cap just went up 10% yeah, yeah. and we're anticipating it's going to go up 10% again. You know, the number, like if it's a nine figure number that starts with a two, you might just have to, to get used to that new reality in the NBA. Yeah. Um, so you have to figure, think of this more as well. It's a max contract. The actual dollar amount doesn't matter. It's taking up this percentage of the cap. Um. I, I think if you are Pascal, you're still pretty open to signing that Right now, And why the Raptors, or I thought why the Raptors didn't for a long stretch was once you extend him, well, that takes a trade off the table for a while. If you think there is even, you know, a 20% chance that you're going to want to trade him by the deadline, this doesn't work or the team underperforms or, you know, OG and Scotty both get hurt. So even though Pascal's been good, you know, the season sucks for whatever reason. If you think there's even a small percentage chance of that and there's going to be a market for the guy, you maybe don't want to sign him to the extension right now to keep that option open in February. But that's about the only argument against the Pascal extension right now because even if you are not the most comfortable about giving a max extension to a guy who is going to be 30 Mm -hmm. in the offseason, those deals don't always age the best. He's going to get it from someone, and the way that the NBA works in the capped environment is you're better off Taking the risk, and, and maybe on the back end, you're overpaying a guy slightly than losing another guy for nothing.
0: Yeah. Uh, we definitely don't want to see a repeat of that. So. I,
2: I would, if I were the Raptors, I would sign him to the extension now. Um, you know, it, t- it does take the trade off the table in, in February. So to me, it signals that they're at least kind of considering that option
0: still. Well, I mean, you're tied with the front office. You should just tell them that in the next Raptors home game.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I, if, if I if I nudge them for <laughs> hey, uh, which nine hundred five guy should uh, should get a tryout versus an actual nine hundred five deal, maybe they would listen. I don't think they're going to listen on uh, on Pascal's next extension.
0: Like we're going to need you to use your your club for good. All right. Um, but listen, we're going to go to a break, uh, and we are going to come back actually with the Raptors' official response to the lawsuit <laughs> filed by the New York Knicks. It's actually a, a really really. Sassy response, I've had to say. So we're going to tease that. But before we actually take that break, I want to let you know that Bet River Sportsbook and Casino here, and it's your home for uh, this basketball season. Download the app featuring thousands of action-packed bets, thrilling slots, and exciting table games for you to enjoy all season long. Bet Rivers and Raptors basketball. It's time to take a chance. Must be 19 plus. Available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. All right, we're going to take that break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. raptor show on the sports radio network host, we continue to be joined by blake murphy and alex wong alex i feel like your usage rate for the first segment was like pat McCaw, 2019 2020 season so we're gonna need you to step up in a more featured way let's, li- live on
3: uh, on air coaching let's keep it that way um wanted to ask you guys before we get to the most infamous lawsuit in nba history you know the Raptors social team has been doing a lot of great work Uh, During training camp, I know we gave them a hard time at times last season, but it's a fresh
0: start for everybody to be clear. They gave themselves hard times (laughs) last
3: season. All right. It's a fresh start for everybody. Not going to judge every IG caption, but they did a great video while they were having training camp. Players are coming out of practice. Asked them if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life. What would it be? So some select answers. Dennis Schroeder picked chicken Alfredo. Garrett Temple went with his mom's gumbo. Mm. Grady Dick. Honey barbecue wings, Ron Harper Jr. medium rare steak every day for the rest of his life. And the most controversial answer, Bobby Webster, general manager, friend of the program, said he would have French fries every day if he could only eat one food for the rest of his life. Thoughts on Bobby Webster's food choice on this?
0: Um I mean, obviously, it's just a joke answer, but I, I, I don't. Do you I, think it's a joke answer? I, I, no, I mean, it's a joke question, I guess. But I just didn't know French fries were anyone's favorite food, personally. So,
2: yeah. Don't look at me. I'm gonna out myself here as the worst, like borderline Irish person of all time. I don't. I You're don't like do, potatoes. I don't like potatoes, French fries, any the, my entire wow. life. So I, no. me and Bobby Webster no couldn't mash eat potatoes. No, my entire life, I was a little kid who wouldn't eat French fries. Unbelievable. So what would you get on the side if you were like ordering a burger or something? Yeah, ordering the salad on the side. Yeah, I mean if it's at a restaurant, I wow. basically fast foods out because I don't really drink pop much either. Like, no pop. all the value. Like I'll drink okay. pop, but like I'll take yeah. like two sips of
0: it. This is Blake preparing to be a TV star.
3: Well, the new media room meal <laughs> setup is perfect for you then. Yeah, yeah, I
0: no guess, food. I guess. Yeah. Um Big adjustment for the media. Sorry, it's a it's a big talking point after yeah. the, the the cans game was. Uh, the, the changes there but we'll keep we'll just keep moving cuz no fries one cares choice
2: about that is just like obviously this is my stupid analytical brain going to the first oh, thing okay. I the first thing I thought of was like okay well it's got to be something like reasonably healthy as well yeah, because yeah. like mm. like Bobby Webster eating just french fries that's not very uh, not very balanced a uh, very balanced meal Ron Harper is going to have like serious problems with all that red meat if the only meal he's eating is mm. medium rare steak I'm with Grady Dick on this one I I don't need to be as specific as honey barbecue but I think like a wing? versatile chicken wing is a pretty good, right. yeah, you could get like a lean protein in there. You could do a couple different things with them. Gotcha. I think I think Grady's got the best the answer here. Dick.
3: No, I like that. Oh, that's a great drop. Will, we're going to we're gonna hear
0: that a lot <laughs> over the course of the season.
3: <laughs> Will, are we a little disappointed that our uh, Filipino friend, Ron Harper Jr., didn't pick a, you know, you want to more pick? nationalistic? You wanted, to pick, you wanted to hear Chicken Adobo? Yeah. Uh,
0: I mean, Chicken Adobo is actually a pretty good pick, honestly. I was going to go with like, a, you know, like a beef hand-pulled noodle. Classic uh <laughs> style beef uh pulled noodle. But seriously, mm-hmm. I, I think you just need a balanced kind of thing, right? You got the noodle, you got the beef, and then you got the soup. I like Perfect. that. Yeah. What, what about are you, Alex? What are you
3: going with, Blake, first? I want to hear from Blake. Oh, he's I'm, a he's I'm had, going he's with, chicken, with wings. chicken wings. You're just going with the chicken yeah, wings. Yeah,
2: it's it's you can do them in yeah. a reasonably healthy enough way. It's versatile. You could get you get some runway out of it. Uh, I'm not touching a vegetable as part of my <laughs> my only food ever to eat though.
0: Okay.
3: Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I think I would just get McDonald's every day. That's not a food though. I get a Big Mac every day. No, no, McDonald's is his own. I I would have a Big Mac every single day. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's I think what I would. Free promotion. Well, what you actually eat in office
0: every single day is uh, you order a butter bagel and a (laughs) sometimes uh, toasted, sometimes toasted. Sure, yeah, he likes to mix it up. Uh, And then you know that coffee that you see sitting on the table there. So that's That's actually what you eat every day at the
3: office. It's a pregame meal routine, man. Okay. Don't you guys have routines? Do you have a specific routine pre-show? Well, I that will, you lock in. I on.
2: will let you know soon because today was my first day on the show and this is a new time slot for me. Like Jay's Talk Plus all summer, ten a.m. to twelve PM is a very right. different routine than rolling in here for a two o'clock show and then heading to the arena after. Oh, so this is the, this is the best time slot. It's it's the most
0: chill. You come here and then you're done at four, and then you go down to the arena for the Raptor game.
2: It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and you don't have to get up that early. It's it's pretty good. I certainly I think it'll be better. It'll definitely be better than when I was doing the morning show. I was going to say you look a lot healthier than when you were doing the morning show. (laughs) Yeah, you're coming out on Tuesdays and every every morning. Blake, it was was tough. Drive time was all right, time slot wise, like for lifestyle wise, because you're still off in time to like run home and see the game, but But you you couldn't couldn't really be in the arena exactly. Couldn't do any reporting. Couldn't do the you know the pregame hang around, catch up with people, talk to coaches and stuff like that. So yeah, this is uh, this is better for that for sure.
0: Do we have a hard pivot to the Knicks lawsuit? Oh, the Raptors here? Or we yeah, gonna... we got an update on this lawsuit. Yeah,
3: that, that was the hard pivot, by the way. Because yeah. there
0: was no way to pivot from f- your so, favorite food to God. the Raptors getting sued.
3: So for people that don't know, the Knicks filed a lawsuit this summer. This was directed at uh, Darko Rakovich. Yep. And a new employee named Azotan. Yes. Who uh, apparently took some state secrets off Synergy.com yep. over with him. He took the, der- uh, the Knicks. He, he took the Julius Randle sidestep uh, left-handed three brick. Uh, yeah, he took some the, secrets from the, from the okay. mid-three in, in New York. And, and, you know, Masai was asked about this on media day. This was actually the first question that was directed at him at his presser. Great way to set the tone for the season. And he said, quote, I think there has only been one time in the history of the NBA that a team has sued a team. Go figure. And, Blake, we've got some, uh, we've got some updates from The Athletic today, right? Yeah, so for background, by the way, um, he's not wrong that this hasn't really happened
2: before. And part of what the Raptors are going to argue in court here is, Well, the NBA, the NBA charter uh, has like steps laid out for what happens if there's a grievance between teams. And Adam Silver uh, at the last Board of Governors meeting where he he did the I can't really talk about it because it's possible this comes across my desk. The Raptors are being not only is this ridiculous and taking up the court's time Mm -hmm. and the whole thing is frivolous. But also, this is something that we have a league charter to cover. This is supposed to be a league matter. So the Mm. Raptors are appealing to the court not appreciating frivolousness by being like, this should not be taking up your time and your resources. Um, As to the actual content of their filing so this comes via fred katz and mike vorkanov of the athletic this is a quote from the raptors filing this baseless lawsuit is a public relations stunt by the Knicks. it has no business wasting judicial resources given the all-encompassing arbitration clause in the party's governing agreement so in other words we're supposed to solve this in-house it's ridiculous it's a waste of your time throw it out, and let the NBA deal with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Ian Begley of SNY TV has a Knicks spokesman response, which is, as we have previously stated, given the theft of proprietary and confidential files and clear violation of criminal and civil law, we were left with no choice but to take this to federal court. Um, The Raptors are also pushing back on that particular thing, the theft of proprietary and confidential files. Um, this is paraphrasing, not, not a direct quote from their filing, but they called that a false and overblown accusation. And Will, you've been on Synergy before, Alex. I imagine Will shown you clips from Synergy before. Yeah, of uh, course. Th- that's, that's my page. That's my homepage. The yeah. Raptors are saying the more than thirty-three hundred video clips are not confidential. Anyone with access to Synergy can just log in and get these clips. At most, Azatam had, like, cre- curated playlists of clips, and he wanted mm. to keep his playlist. Like, he went through a, a breakup but wanted to keep the Spotify yeah, that yeah, they yeah. shared together uh, and, and not mess up his algorithm, basically is the gist of this. The Raptors are saying anyone with the Synergy login could look at all this stuff. I don't know if they'd say this much, but if it goes further, I'd imagine they'd also say all of our internal proprietary stuff is way more detailed then what synergy allows you to do? Synergy is an efficiency tool, not
3: an information tool. If you're at the NBA level, damn. What, Blake just delivered the opening statements to the to the court case. <laughs> I feel yeah, no. I feel like we should have dropped the ether beat as as Blake read the uh, <laughs> don't
0: the actual don't, like quote, don't give Derek ideas, man. From uh, from from this from the court, but no, seriously, I, I think it's you could just judge on the actions. Like the Raptors are still in, in like employing Aswathem. Mm-hmm. As one of the video coordinators. Let's get scouts. him on the
3: show to defend
0: him. Yeah. <laughs> here's here's <laughs> what I think we should. Do. Approach so the Knicks, the, PR, yeah. the Knicks are here December 1st.
2: The Knicks are here December 1st. If this is still a thing, it Fred, probably will be. Fred Katz of The Athletic, who's who's the lead on this reporting, him and Mike Vorkenov, but Fred's the beat guy, so he'll mm-hmm. probably be here. Yep. We bring him in here. We do a mock trial. Okay. Alex, okay. You, you put a judge's robe on instead no, of your... I'm going to uh, dress uh, like um,
3: Omar from The Wire. You're just going to have the yellow tie? You got the synergy login. <laughs> I got the briefcase. Yeah, yeah. that's what we're gonna it's do. All we're in the t- game, no, Ma- but seriously though, there's, there's, this even
0: when we looked at the details of this when it came out in the summertime, um, it was pretty clear that this did seem frivolous. You know what I mean? Like, I think the closest thing to like stealing trade documents would have been like, okay, so they filed a scouting report for like a specific game here from two years ago, and then they brought it over, and it's like, okay, so. That I feel is like maybe more specific to like a team context, and you might say, "Well, that's closer to." But honestly, this is just like standard practice for the most part. It's it's a little sloppy. I'm sure that you know anytime you change companies that you, there are certain you know, rules and regulations to be followed, all that kind of stuff. But we're not exactly, you know, taking the secrets of the iPhone over to Android over here. Like, it's it's not like that, you know, to, to borrow a quote from Draymond Green. Here's the thing is, like,
2: if he showed up to a video session and was like, hey, when I was with the Knicks, this is how we defended that action. Mm. That's allowed. You're allowed to, like, that is knowledge that you have as a basketball person. It's just the fact that, you know, downloaded some stuff from Synergy. I'm not saying it should be, like, all clear and, and you didn't make a misstep in doing that. But yeah, this and the other crux of what the the Raptors are going to argue here is that not only is this frivolous in terms of coming after the Raptors for some sort of restitution, but it's the Raptors are arguing that it's also an action on the part of the Knicks to scare off future Knicks employees from going to other teams. Because mm. if you take... Not, and again, this is not the synergy video. You probably shouldn't have done that part. But if the Knicks are going to claim that any knowledge you picked up while you were working for the Knicks is not knowledge that you can take with you, like that is institutional knowledge, not your personal basketball knowledge, that is going to hurt the job market or, or hurt Knicks employees' abilities to maneuver elsewhere. So the Raptors threw in a nice little like labor sub-punch to this, too. It's like, also, it's
3: anti-labor, just so mm. you know. Mm. So basically, James Dolan is just playing games. He's a highly litigious individual. Yeah, no, that's you know, Like
0: This is actually in his track record. And I think that, you know, do you think there's some beef there between him and Messiah? Like, no one can say this, you know, with any sort of authority. I just mean, like, why would you even take this step unless, you know, there was some extra sort of motivation behind
2: it yeah i think there's probably a history there right like he didn't obviously we know he didn't like how the Bargani trade turned out because he then stopped the kyle lowry but trade that, because you get it.
0: mad at your gm you don't get mad at you don't get mad at messiah like come on but
2: man. are we we're also talking about a, a very rich person who spent his whole life rich and like enough in enough of a rich person's echo chamber to have jd in the straight shot like headlining uh, shows you know like
3: you wouldn't go to a jd and the straight shot show i know you love your concert yeah I, would, I, would you attend
2: i would go Do you think ironically to to see JD in the
3: straight shot, yeah. I would not pay to go. Okay, okay. So Do they you, have merch you, like you, the water
0: bottles, go. like that's like fifty dollars, or like the tote bag
3: that's eighty bucks. You're willing to buy an eighty dollar James Dolan tote bag? I mean, don't lie on air, bro. kind a dead stock. So know? I don't know if you guys know, this is not the first time that the Raptors and Knicks have been involved in a lawsuit. Uh, will might not remember this. I think Blake will. So before the Raptors played their first ever playoff series in franchise history back in two thousand. Toronto Raptors coach at the time, Butch Carter, actually filed a defamation suit against Marcus Camby, who was on the Knicks. Mm. You remember this? Vaguely. Okay, vaguely. Okay, because what happened was Camby was traded to the Knicks before the 98-99 season, and he had said, I believe in an interview with a newspaper, that Butch Carter had promised that the Raptors had planned to build the team around Camby. So after he was traded for Charles Oakley, Camby said, quote, he's a liar. I don't really like him. No one likes him, and no one wants to play for him. Damn. That's the guy that he is. I don't trust him. I think a lot of guys don't trust him. He's just been ratting out people and doing things his way. From what I hear, a lot of people are mad at him. So right before game one, Butch Carter heard those comments and actually filed a lawsuit hmm. against Canby. So, so wow. I came across this
2: during the pandemic when we were just kind of coming up with any article idea we could. I ranked every trade in Raptors history and the Marcus can be for Sean Marks and Charles Oakley one is hey we all love Charles Oakley, but you had a young defensive player of the year, lead the league and shot blocking guy to pair with Vince Carter. And I mean, potentially Tracy McGrady as well. And you went the route of the, the justification for that was, well, we need more vets. We need guys who can set the example in the room and right. help build around Vince that way. And, yeah, you traded away a, a, a deep potential defensive anchor for a fun guy who, like, obviously didn't have the upside of Canby. But, yeah, I came across some of this stuff when I was researching for that
3: piece and just, like, yikes. Yeah. Is that enough uh, lawsuit talk?
0: Uh, no, I feel like uh, maybe back in the day because you couldn't really get your message out unless you put it in the newspaper or the television or maybe on radio. Mm. So I feel like people almost prepared more in terms of like what they were going to say. Nowadays, it'd just be like a subtweet or like a little IG story that will pop up. So I kind of enjoy this old school, like just like direct to the point, like I dislike this guy. (laughs) Like I actually kind of like it. It, Going back to that. NBA Slander now is all just like, here's a a photo they posted.
2: And I'm like, all right. It's
3: just Joel Embiid on Twitter, man. Yeah.
2: It would help our show a lot if we went back to those times. Like Alex is getting texts from players and coaches like, hey, I got a message to get out. I need a spot on the Raptors show. Let well, me talk to Will Lou and get uh, let, the message. Let me open that there.
0: invite right now. Actually, where's the camera? Yeah, um, to any players on the Raptors or maybe even elsewhere in the NBA, if you would like to come on air and air your grievances, the show is open from two to four p.m. Eastern. Yeah, we'll have a mock trial every so, week. studio we'll here is at, one, <laughs> at Mount Pleasant. Yeah, we'll we'll pre-tape. I'll come to you. You know, <laughs> I wherever you are. That dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's 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 hear that. Let's I, hear I do that like now. I
3: like I do like the idea of bringing Fred Katz in though. If if this is still a storyline, okay. And we all got to get dressed up that day. Yeah. For for the All thing. Right. So we got a couple of minutes before the break. I know you were teasing this earlier, Will. Got the interview. You sat down with Chris Boucher. That's right. Over the weekend. How was how that, that conversation? What's the teaser like, man? What's the teaser with that conversation? Um, I mean, I think the biggest
0: thing was just uh, Chris is very uh, open and transparent. That's why we requested for Chris. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we covered a lot about what happened and what went wrong last year. Um, and I think um, maybe the subtext of it, not even the subtext, but... it it just kind of really illustrated sort of the need for a new voice and a new approach towards managing the team. So there's a lot of questions on that front. And I think Chris was fairly open. Um, So for people who are really interested in what went wrong last year and also sort of what they're trying to do differently this year, um, even some details about, you know, how Darko's running practices, for example. um, I think it's, again, just Chris is a really good interview. And, um, you know, you'll hear that at the three o'clock hour. Are, are, you try, are you just trying to skip over our Cairns Raptors takeaways? Oh, well,
3: we man. can pivot there. Boucher was really, really good in his 13 right, minutes guys. last night. Last evening at Scotia Bank <laughs> Arena, you got the, about the uh, box score printout. I collect these. Uh, the Toronto Raptors took on yeah. Cairns Taipan from Australia, yeah. featuring Alfred Payton. And then uh, the Raptors' biggest lead of the game was 41 points. They won 134 to 93. Did, Blake, you might know this. They played, The Raptors played 17 guys mm-hmm. last night, and that was without Precious Achua, Christian Coloco, Jakob Pertle, and Otto Porta Jr., who might never play again. Um, but he is on the bench again. It's a, it's a, it, oh, he is closer to the those, court. We're setting those standards no, this no, no, season. He, trust he me, I'm telling on you, the bench and dressed. He,
0: he wasn't even in the building for like right, half right, the right, year right. last year, so he he is closer to the court. Like, right. That's objectively
3: true. Anyways, Chris, like you mentioned, Chris Boucher did get the start and and, and played really well. What would you see, Blake, from... From our guy.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, I thought Chris was just, it was pure energy basically, right? Like, Like I can say pretty safely if he went to the Australian Basketball League... Uh, he would lead the league in free throw attempts. He got eight of them in 13 minutes, and a lot of it was, um, you know, just activity and and being around the rim a lot. The Mm -hmm. the Raptors guys around him were looking for him on high lows and dump offs and things like that. Um, But, yeah, I thought just, you know, the one thing that we didn't really get to see Chris operate much of, and and it's kind of the big question for him um, heading into this year if he's going to be the backup five, is how does he look in those, you know, high post DHO situations and stuff? They didn't do that a ton With him, it was kind of... It was almost all transition offense when the starters were out there because they forced the turnover every time down.
0: Yeah, or catch and shoot threes. But uh, real quickly, because I know we got to go to break, but you shared some nice details yesterday to me about how this team in Australia got Alfred Payton and also got almost got another former uh, lottery pick.
2: Yeah, so they they are still filling out their roster for the season to come. Uh, they lost Taj McCall, a former G League standout because he had a kid the other day, so he went home. Uh, they lost another player as well to, I think, COVID. Uh, so they signed Alfred Payton. They tried to get Derek Favors for this game. Derek Favors, who's coming, trying to come back to the league through the G League Uh, Was close to potentially playing for the tight ends
0: at this game. Would have at least been a a different interior challenge. So they just wanted to sign two NBA players uh, just for the tournament itself, which is very (laughs) interesting. But anyway, we're going to take that break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptor show on the SportsNet Radio Network. When we come back, we will have that interview for you with Chris Boucher. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sparce Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. Uh, as we said before the break, we were able to get down to Toronto Raptors practice on Saturday to land this one-on-one interview with Chris Boucher. So here's that interview. Joining us on the program is Raptors forward, center, just baller in general, Chris Boucher. Chris, you know, you're not the second longest tenured Raptor now
1: on the team. No, I didn't even know that. Yeah, uh, it's just that scout he- longer than you. Oh, so only one year?
0: Cool. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah. yeah. Definitely so, proud of it. Uh, I mean, you are, you're a veteran of the Raptors, but you're also a veteran of the Raptors show. You know, I feel like we've done so many pieces of content, podcasts together, your show, my show. So, you know, obviously today we're actually relaunching the show for the season. We're back on TV, back on air. So yeah. I appreciate you taking the time, man.
1: Yeah, no worries, man. Always. It's um, pleasure.
0: Let's start with the summer, man. So how was your summer? You know, how was uh, did you get away? What'd you do?
1: No, it was good. I went to St. Lucia back home. Went okay. to see my family, extended family, um, people that didn't see me since I was young. Um, you know, worked a lot on different stuff, knowing that I was having a coaching stuff change. Um, I felt like I wanted to work on a lot of different things, not knowing who was coming back. Um, but like I said, I also did a lot of camps and all of that I usually do. So typical summer, definitely. You yeah. um, know, enjoyed it a little bit, but def- typical summer. Did you catch any of
0: the Canada basketball? Because, you, you know, your boy Dylan, yeah, you always defend Dylan because obviously you guys go way back. Obviously, yep. you guys played at Oregon together. Mm-hmm. You always defended Dylan, even yep. last year when he was beefing with LeBron. Yeah, and I thought Dylan had such a great summer. So, what was your? Yeah, perspective I
1: mean, on that? I mean, it was to be expected. Like I said, I feel like Dylan is just somebody that is misunderstood. his game, kind of make people see him as a different person. Um, I know I'm inside out, so I really know who he is. Uh, I know the passion that he has for the love for the game and. That was just good for it to see him, you know, actually do something for Canada and actually having some people that praise him instead of just downing him. So, um, and he signed a big contract. So, I mean, kudos to him for everything.
0: Yeah. Uh, watching the watching the run, like, the part of you was like, yo, I should be out there too?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a part of me that was like, you know what, man, we could have probably, you know, fight against... Uh, Shooter or something, if you know the full we had the full team. So I mean, obviously when, watching that, seeing what they did, and obviously they succeeded to bring us to the Olympics. I think it makes a lot of Canadian that uh, could have been in the, in the team or wanted to be in the team to play. Um, you know, for the guys like Andrew Wiggins and them guys who um, right. are seeing the same thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I'm, yeah. I'm sure next year everybody wants to go to the Olympics. I'm sure you in that group too. Yep. Um, okay, I I don't want to talk that much about last year, but I do want to ask three questions just about last year, and then we'll move on from that. Yeah. I think I'll probably just start here. Like, what were you guys expecting to happen last season? Because you guys put a lot of training, a lot of good work into it. Yeah. And then sort of like,
1: what went wrong? You know what I mean? Um, I think there's a there's a point where, like, everybody kind of, there was a place of confusion between, like, you know, the young guys and the old guys. I think it's just um, them not adjusting fast enough and us wanting it too fast. And then after that, it was more like uh, them, you know, actually flourishing and doing really good and us still being used to you know, the typical different uh, type that we raised, we raised. Like when I came here, I mean, you were, if you're the 15 guy or the 14 guy, you know, you just got to wait your time, you know. Yeah. But now we're seeing guys that are coming in the league right away, doing an impact and all that. I think that um, definitely impact, impacted a lot of stuff. Obviously, you're not winning. That makes everything a little bit worse. I think, um, you know, it wasn't as bad as everybody's seen, but the, our game, when we're showing the games, it showed um, a little version of that. Um, Probably affected everybody on the team.
0: Okay, yeah. that's a good perspective, right? Because it's it's just human. Like there's there was that group with I would say you, Pascal, Fred, yeah. Norm, OG, Delon. I'm sure I'm missing some other yeah. guys. Where you guys were all drafted later, or even in some cases like you and Fred, yeah. not even drafted at all because yeah. of the climb up the whole ladder. There's like all these steps, yeah, right? Exactly. And you know the league. I think that's the league changing. Not even so yeah. much the Raptors changing. You know 100%. the whole league is like that now. So. But also
1: like some of us just got to be more realistic. Like a guy like me, I can't say nothing when a guy like Scotty comes on the team yeah, and it's of course, just, of course. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I just got to be honest with, my, honest with myself. So um, I think that's something that is hard for certain players to admit that, um, you know, my, a young guy might come and obviously you might not get it all right now, but his potential is probably higher than you were or whatever. And then you just, you know, as a vet now, I understand a lot better how you want to, you know, cherish these guys and you want to be there for them. And, I mean, I, as a vet, what you want to do is go back at them and, you know, still show that you're, you know, capable of playing or better, but you still want them to, you know, if they're doing it good, then you want to be there for them. And I think that's something that, um, you know, I end up, you know, figuring out with the time, but it wasn't always like that. Right.
0: Um. Okay. The second question I had was just in terms of like, so I, I, last year, I think it happened even more than previous years, but there's just a lot of public call outs from the coach, you yeah. know, and I know you, that happened to you a couple 100%. of times. Sometimes you maybe you deserve it, maybe you don't, but yeah. still when when that happened to you or when it happened to some of the rest of the guys on the team, like how did you guys sort of approach it? Like
1: um, I mean, me, I got used to it. I mean, I won't lie to you, like, I I knew how many mistakes I was doing and all that. So, okay. I, I mean, I kind of expected, you know, some criticism on my game and all. I mean, I, I wasn't always a lot uh, agreeing with all of them. But, like, as a professional, I kind of knew my place. I think it's all different with other players. For example, I'm good with, you know, having a coach telling me what I have to do, whatever. Um, There's certain ways to say it. But, I'm, you know, I try with coaches to telling me what's wrong because I want to fix it. Um, some players that just you know they—it's a breaking. You got to break that habit of right. thinking that you're always perfect. They always have people around them telling them they're doing good. So when they have a coach for the first time, that telling them or putting them on, you know, Twitter or whatever about something, uh, it might affect them differently. So um, I can't answer for everybody, but I know for me, definitely um, you know, there's a certain way of communicating, and I think that um, every coach has different ways of doing it.
0: Yeah, I appreciate your honesty on that because I yeah. think a lot of players wouldn't would just shy away from this kind of question, but. Yeah. I think it was interesting with Nick because even towards the end of the year, it's something like he called himself out in a way because yeah. he was like, yeah, I've been here like 10 years. I got to reevaluate. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know us in the media, when we thought, heard that, we we're like, OK, come on, what are you doing? Yeah. I, what was the reaction in the players? Because I'm sure you guys were probably taken by surprise.
1: To be honest with you, um, during that time, we were just thinking about making the playoffs. So it was kind of mm-hmm. tough. Like we're in a situation where we're trying to be in the plan and make it. We didn't want to be in the when We need to be playoffs, so. Um, I mean, I didn't see the interview until the end. So I, yeah. I, I can't even say that it affected the game or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, if I was front office or whatever, I think watching this, not knowing what my future was going to be. If my coach says that, then, you yeah. know, some decision has to be made. So I, I, you know, I'm not in a position to talk for anybody. But I know that um, if it rubbed the fans a different way, I'd, you know, what do you think it did with the front office, and everybody else.
0: No, that's fair. I feel like that's just one of those things where you, you don't say in-season, you say at the end of the season. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, and then the third question was just, rotations are kind of short last year, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of young guys didn't really get minutes. When you were younger yeah. and you didn't get minutes, how mm-hmm. did that affect you? Because I'm sure... A lot of the other players in the team were in that same boat last
1: year. Well, me, what I what it made me realize that I wasn't good enough. Um, that's how I took it. Okay, I and mean, I know there's two different ways of seeing it. It's either I'm too good and I should be playing, and I don't understand what's going on, and that might just make you know I want to work hard and whatever. But I mean, I had Serge Ibaka, Mark Gasol, Kawhi. My first right, year I had right. KD. Like I I knew I wasn't even close to that, so right. it just made me want to work harder and learn. And I think that's what's good about this year on our team is that. You know, they see the Pascal, they see the OG, the Gary, and the guys under them are trying to learn from it, which is, you know, a really, really good thing. But I think it could be seen a totally different. Like, you could just be like, you know what? Like, my first year when I had KD and all them, um, I was like, they're never going to use me. So I was chilling yeah. more. And, you know, that got me waived. So.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I feel you really had to get it, like,
1: Learn it the hard way, you know. What yeah, I mean? I yeah, no, I for sure definitely took like. If you tell me about my career, I definitely had to go everywhere, like yeah. every step of the way. And I, you know, like even when things were not well, playing two days as a two way, all that stuff. Like that's yeah. what I try to tell those guys like mckeese and all. I'm like, you guys might think that it's hard, but like, imagine when it was in the G League and the D League, and you were mm-hmm. doing all like it. It was just worse. I know I'm not one of the guys that went to the worst, but I know I've been through enough to right. talk nah, about I was.
0: It. I was just chatting earlier this week with uh, one of your former teammates, uh, Mike Cabongo. He says he's yeah. your boy, right? Yeah, yeah. And he said you guys played nine on five together, and mm-hmm. I was asking about you at that time. Yeah. And he was like, he was like, Chris was like thirty points a game, yeah. fifteen
1: rebounds, two was, blocks, two steals. I was thinking about getting out of there. Yeah, so yeah. I was, you know, I, to be that's what it with takes, you. though. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I mean that's what I said. I mean, I have my twin, my twin over here, so MG. Um, yeah. He, um, he, I told him that I was like, if they send you to the G League, man, go over there, average 30 and 20, you'll be back, you know, because he's really athletic. I think he's really got a good job. MK, 2 yeah. I mean, I got two twins now, but yeah. nah, The rapper's got a type, you know what I mean? Yeah. What's up, yeah. Bobby? All right, you just walking. What's past. up, Bobby? What up, man? <laughs> Is that
0: Bobby's kid? Yeah, oh, that's adorable. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about this here then. So, what'd you guys do differently this summer, like group sessions? You know, like, like, what did you guys do to sort of fix it? Because you obviously uh, you guys yeah. know, you guys should be a winning program, and you yeah. guys are a winning program. So, yeah. how'd you guys fix it?
1: Um, I mean, I think coach came, and um, that definitely made everybody, you know, more excited, you know, brought some pop a little bit. I think what he really did was, um, you know, kind of tell us that we were only going to do it together, uh, making important to pass the ball, but also knowing that it's a learning pro- learning curve that we have in breaking habits and it's a lot easier to break habits as a team than one player at a time. So I think that's something that helps us. And not knowing that it's not only the rookies, you know, Scotty, me, Gary, we all had to do it, Pascal. So um, I think that really helped out and the patience that, that we have for it.
0: I like that. Darko always talks about doing everything together, everything yeah, yeah. together. Even with him and his coaching staff, they're always together, yeah, which yeah. is nice. Um, in terms of – because I know you guys get together in, like, Vegas. You guys get together in L.A. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys got, like, a pre-training camp here in Toronto as well before going to Vancouver. Yeah. Um, we don't get to see a lot of that stuff. So I mm-hmm. want to ask you, like, who is one player that, like, fans and media are sleeping on behind the scenes that they're killing behind the scenes, but we don't really know about it?
1: Um, I mean, Malachi was not that bad. Jeff was not that bad, too. I mean, if you talk about, like, guys that you're like, okay, well, they're doing a lot. You know, you see a change or they did good. I think these two was really good. Um, I mean, obviously, I think... You know, when it comes to the black team, whatever they were good too. But um, I was definitely happy to see like the growth of Malachi and Jeff. I think they, um, you know, especially coming off the bench, you know, you play with them a lot more. So yeah. I kind of were able to see it in firsthand. And I think they really did a really good job changing the game and trying to, you know, compliment whatever coach wanted them to do. Yeah. Um. By the way, is it just me or is Malachi bulked up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been he, lifting. He's kind of these. He's, uh, he's been lifting definitely. I mean, I, w- I was in the gym with him, and I mean, he said he's, he's lifting the same thing as me, and he's like six foot. So, okay, I you know, got right. accepted that.
0: He's strong. Okay, I got yeah. you. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of Darko and the staff, right, there's been so much talk about the new offense, new offense, new offense. And I just asked him out there, and he kind of agreed with this statement, um, but I wanted to hear your thoughts on it too. Mm-hmm. It feels like this year he really wants to create a lot of the offense through movement rather than through the dribble.
1: Yeah, um, I mean that is a good point that um, it's. A, I mean it's crazy that you're saying that today because we were just playing five on five without without dribbling the ball. What does and, that even
0: look like?
1: I mean it's hard, but like to be honest with you, like if, as the minute that we're gonna figure that one out, we're gonna be with so much better because moving and all like without dribbling it makes the ball the game so much harder. Mm. And what thing that you, that made us realize that. The more you hold it and make see the cuts or whatever, the better it is. And um, you know, the first time we did it, everybody's trying to move fast, whatever, because you know you can't dribble, and yeah. it's like a mess. But as soon as you hold the ball and everybody's cutting, it seems to help a lot more. And I think he really makes us understand that, and we do it every day, and that helps us a lot.
0: Well, I feel like it's, this really benefits you, right? Because you've yeah. always been a really good cutter. Yeah, it's yeah. not like they give you the ball and, let, and just clear up for you. No, you've I really always had, plays.
1: You always cut. Yeah, I mean, I always cut offensive rebound and all that. That's why it really helps me. Like, I've never been a player where you, you call a play for me and be like, okay, you're going to come out a pin down or whatever. So um, it definitely helps me out a lot with the cuts and all. But uh, I think the one thing that is going to make me a lot better here was um, is defensively because the rotation and all that they're a little bit easier but like with the length that I have it makes it a lot easier for me and right. guys like Jalen McDaniel, Pascal OG so um, I think it's really going to help us out defensively. I mean the offense is going to get there eventually we got good scorers but defensively I think if they were talking about we're getting a lot of deflection last year and all that I think we're going to be a lot better this year. Mm. Okay I like that because yeah. you guys should
0: be great like yeah. you guys literally have like The like the tallest athletes out there, pretty much every single night, right? So you guys should be great defensively. Um, all right. One last question about your game, and then I want to do a little quick, like true or false kind of thing to end. Um, for your game, what's one thing that you feel like you improved on last season, and one thing that you want to keep getting better at this year? Uh, the one
1: thing that I got better, I think, is discipline. Just knowing, like you know, you don't have to shoot every shot. Um, not kind of knowing what's next for a guy. You know, I mean, I used to play the game and just be raw over there. I think now that I mean, I, you know, more using the count report, knowing what it is, um, right, left, kind of knowing, you know, how far I could be from a player without, you know, having to do a bad closeouts and stuff like that. I think that helps me out a lot. One thing that I want to get better, again, is still figuring out when to help, when not to help. I think that's something as a shot blocker, you always feel like you're the help guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm getting better at it, but I think there's still, you know, ways to be better, especially playing with different guys. So, yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I, I know I definitely tweeted about you a lot less. Yeah, so a, I mean, I've, like tried to, I've, tried to, I've tried to do it a lot less, too. I mean, obviously, I do it one or two times, but I think um, <laughs> no, no, no. to the years. No, you, you genuinely have been a lot better on yeah. that, honestly. Thanks, it, thanks. It's a lot more solid. That's okay. not me just saying that because you're,
0: you're in the room. I say that thanks. on the show all the time. Okay, last thing to, to do, true or false, yeah. on new season storylines. Because you know when the new season comes around, mm-hmm. we put out new headlines, and I want you inside to, to just tell me true or false on these things, yeah. okay? All right, number one, Darko stops practice anytime you guys get stagnant. Yes, true. that's true. true. Okay, all right. Uh Scotty is now six eleven and two
1: forty plus. Six eleven, yes, two forty plus. Wait, he's maybe. actually
0: six eleven. What do
1: you? Uh, he said that on the stream, but I don't. Is that true? Wait? I mean, I like, he's he's definitely like when I look at him, I look definitely to his eyes. So he might okay. be six eleven. Two forty is two forty is big. It's like really LeBron big. level,
0: yeah. Um. Next one, Yak and the rest of the centers are gonna get the ball every every touch in, in the post.
1: False. No, not every time. Okay. No, Pascal right. OG, everybody gonna get it over there. All right. Uh
0: next one. Dennis is starting. Gary's gonna be the sixth man.
1: i say true for what I've seen right now, but who knows? Okay.
0: All right. Um Darko's gonna play a ten man rotation this year.
1: Um i said say true, but okay. I think that it might change with you know, would depend on who we're playing got you. and who you need and injuries. All right, two
0: more. Uh Raptor's gonna win more than the thirty six and a half Vegas win total. hundred percent. Yeah, that's disrespectful, man. Thirty six and a half, come yeah. on. Uh and then last one, Chris Boucher gonna do more episodes of Hustle Play this year on Yahoo
1: Sports. Probably yes, hundred percent. Yeah, gotcha.
0: Yeah. Who's the number one guest you wanna get right now?
1: Uh Grady. Grady. Got you.
0: Yeah, Grady's my guy. All right, Chris, appreciate you. You always uh, help us out on the show. No Best problem. of luck on the season. And, uh, yeah, we can't wait to see what it looks like. All right? I
1: appreciate it, man.
2: That was William Liu and Chris Boucher talking down to practice on Saturday. Will, that was a, a terrific interview. You and Chris have such a good chemistry.
0: I, I know. Listen, I know we have history here, and, and we told the story on this show a million times, so I don't want to repeat it. But it actually is very cool. Like, when we see each other, it's all friendly. It's nice. My boy, know, William. Yeah, that's my that's my guy now, Chris. No, but seriously, it was a it was a huge help because for us, like we we definitely wanted to again, like we're obviously relaunching on on TV and on radio. We want to begin day one with an interview, with an exclusive, something I think that fans have really gotten used to from the show. Something I really take uh, a lot of joy from from doing these interviews. And and when we're thinking about sort of who to request, I, I definitely put Chris on the list uh, in the top three because I was like, you know, um, I understand that obviously he's not a starter, but he's been here a long time. He's got a good perspective. He knows how to really sort of bridge that gap in the sort of the generational gap that he kind of talked about a little bit on the in the interview as well. Uh, but also, he's actually really willing to be, like, transparent and open with it. Like, I think a lot of players would just, like, very easily shut a lot of those questions down. But I know I can ask Chris that not only because we have a bit of a rapport, but also because of the fact that he's just a good speaker and he's willing to, to sort of be transparent. So, I, I, you know, salute to Chris, man.
2: And that takes some time. That takes some time to, you know, get comfortable with media. Obviously, yeah. you know, English was his first language also. And then, you know, right. secure enough in your spot that you can – Tell it like it is, and no one can be too upset with you because it's the truth. I do have a couple serious follow-up questions for you. But am I to understand from you saying, what up, Bobby, and getting no response that we should not pencil
0: Bobby Webster in for the show? No. uh, So Bobby has said he will do the show once per year. Once per year. Okay. Per year, though. Not season. So last year, we did not actually get Bobby on the show in terms of the January to April portion. So they owe us for this calendar. So for twenty twenty three and then twenty twenty four again. But, you know, shouts to Bobby. I, I, I technically he did do the whole live show with us last year, which does was it, a big thing. Doesn't count. Wasn't live on sports at Radio Network and Sports at three sixty you know what? That that that's I'm gonna I'm gonna use that with Bobby, but uh no, it was it was it was chill. Um Bobby was there with his kids, so he just waved and said hi. That's
2: the all. the other uh, funny thing before we get into serious follows was the I know what he was saying, but the phrasing of Malachi is not that bad uh, yeah. was uh, yeah. was amusing. I obviously look, Malachi lo- has has looked fairly solid and we heard today at practice actually that he's uh to your question to Chris he actually has add, added 6 to 7 pounds uh, of muscle okay. and he is all he the was, bicep
0: just went directly into like the Popeye's uh, yeah, yeah
2: yeah the show muscles as uh, they were um yeah so that that was kind of funny but there was a lot of really good stuff in there it will and, and I'm you know obviously there is an element of like you said Chris just growing up and, and Chris being you know having that kind of perspective and being willing to share it um when you hear Chris talk about what the dynamic was like last year between the older guard on the team and some of the newer guys. And I know that could be, you know, strictly a a generational divide or a, hey, this is how we were brought up and this is how we're doing things now kind of thing. But we also heard Chris talk about within that, that he had to be honest with himself about, yeah, Scotty Barnes was number four pick and he has all the upside in the world. And sometimes even if you're a veteran and you're more established, you have to understand that and and adapt to that. Um, What do you make of Chris... Chris's comments around that and how does that affect your confidence level that even with most of the same pieces back, that won't be an issue this year?
0: I mean, I think it's kind of like growth on both ends, right? Like um, sometimes when you hear like terms, you you use like maturity and all that kind of stuff, like it it really just depends on sort of which way you're looking at it. And I think that from both sides, like, you know, like I'm sure there's some maturing that – Scotty went through last year, which is typical of a second-year player and also typical of uh, somebody who's 21 years old at that time. Um, and I'm sure that it took some getting used to from some of the older vets who, you know, again, to Chris's point, uh, you know, came up in a sort of different way. I mean, like, but at the same time, like, you you do have to be realistic. Like, Scotty is an excellent player and not a perfect player. Um, I know there's definitely, like, uh, a future thrust and an eagerness to sort of, like, in, uh, in, you know, install him as sort of the franchise player and all that kind of stuff, but he's not the best player on the team right now. And so that is a sort of an uncomfortable gap between expectations and what people want versus sort of what's happening right now. Uh, But at the same time, it's not like you look at the situation, especially you go back to the 2021 uh, draft class. Scotty Barnes has played 5,295 minutes. That leads every rookie in that class, Mm -hmm. right? The next closest is Evan Mobley, uh, who once again finished his second uh, at five thousand forty six <laughs> minutes, so just slightly behind Scotty, just like the rookie of year race. And then Franz Wagner, um, just also five thousand. Everyone else below is four thousand or below. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's already like really, really been able to show that impact. He's been able to step into the starting lineup pretty much from day one. I know there were some injuries back when the Raptors started when he was a rookie, and I, at no point did I think that like, wow, he should come out of the starting lineup or he should play less minutes. I think all we really wanted to see was more growth and more development on that front, and. I think there was definitely that veteran group, especially the ones who were able to win a championship, um, not obviously as the main pieces, but a lot of the main pieces, right? Mm-hmm. There, obviously none of them were Kawhi, but you don't win the championship without Pascal. You don't win the championship without Fred. Um, a lot of those guys were really ready and willing to to try to win and try to push. And I think that that urgency, um, especially as sort of the season went on, it, sort of, it kind of dragged on. It just wasn't really, again, that happy of a workplace again that's what we spoke about at the start of the episode um you know people started to drop off a little bit more and more, and I think that that's not even trying to put blame on one side or the other um Certainly, I was not in the room to to even adjudicate such a thing, but I do think that that was an actual tangible um, subplot of last season that we heard about more and more as the year went on but uh yeah, I mean you just hope that again with Darkwell coming in and sort of uh also Scotty taking on more of like a visible presence, like he's doing a lot more media than mm. last year. Last year was difficult to get Scotty to do media. Like you, you you he would have to be coerced to do media, you know what I mean? And I don't I, sometimes I don't blame him. A, the season wasn't going that well. And B, you know, there were like negative headlines about him in the press. So why would he want to talk to the press? So again, I'm I'm seeing both sides. But I'm talking about like there's a difference this year. He's he's happy, he's talking to the media more, he's taking more ownership of the team. And I think that, you know, again there was always sort of Can you find that overlapping timeline between the younger guys and the older guys? And that really just comes down to sort of both sides sort of reaching out and playing together and and as one. And hopefully that's what Darko's there for, you know. And it's not like these guys are so combative or they're like like at each other's necks all the time. It's not like that. It really isn't. It's sort of just the reality of the situation. But hopefully, especially after last year, everyone recognizes there's room for growth. Like there really was. They failed their objective last year and they looked bad, and everyone kind of looked bad in the process. Yeah,
2: it, uh, it, this is the thing. It's the opposite of a, a high tide rising all boats, right? And, and yeah, when yeah, we talk yeah. about yeah. Pascal earlier in the show, and we, we get to, well, will the contract situation potentially be a distraction? Well, the answer is, like, maybe a, a tiny bit, but still the best possible thing for Pascal's market is for Pascal to play well so that the Raptors win a lot of basketball games. And that's the same thing here. Yeah. It's like everyone, there might be some disagreement and some friction about how to achieve that goal, but the most important thing for everyone's individual stock – First is the team does well, yes, because guys guys on bad teams don't get paid or, or don't get you know the opportunities that, that other guys don't. So um, another follow-up for you, I, I want to talk some of you know what Boucher's role is going to look like and what this yeah, bench sure. is going to look like in the next segment, but there was something off the top of that interview. You kind of asked Chris about Dylan Brooks and about watching that Canada basketball team. Now, we heard Shaden Sharp earlier in training camp say that he wants to be with the Canada basketball program in Paris next summer for the Olympics. Okay. We, Chris Boucher kind of alluded to that and yeah. and suggested he would like to be a part of that as well. And Andrew Wiggins told Mark Medina uh, the other day that the goal next year is to be with them in Paris, uh, citing that he had a broken rib mm. this offseason. And while Wiggins okay. was not a part of the initial group of 14 that committed to three years, there's now an injury consideration here with him. Um, what is your... We'll probably talk about this again before Paris yeah, as well. Sure. What, what is your personal appetite for Canada basketball coming off of the three-year commitment? If a guy like Boucher, Andrew Wiggins, who had an injury consideration, Shaden Sharp, who, you know, no rookie is going to be able to commit to a three-year window like that, given the the dynamics of the NBA, yeah. um, what is your willingness to for Canada basketball to be flexible around that stuff?
0: It's so difficult. I think I would leave the decision more towards the leaders of the team. Mm -hmm. Not to say that you passed the buck as management, but um, a lot of these guys have put in such incredible commitment to the program, right? Like, you know, when you think about the captains of the team, it was basically Kelly for this run, Kelly and Dwight Powell or the the, the vocal leaders, the older members of that group along with Melvin Edgem. Those guys have committed to them, you know, in in more when other players I guess haven't, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And so you let that decision sort of come down to them and definitely make it a collaborative one. Also, I think, like, it's not a guarantee that a guy like Shaden Sharp walks into the, the the team, especially next year. Like, I understand that we saw, like, you know, uh, great flashes of potential. He's arguably the most athletic player in the league. Um, and that towards the end of the season, when we're talking about the last month or so, he was really able to, you know, have multiple 20-point, 30-point games, all that kind of stuff is good. I Honestly, like, there are players more ready to win now in their development curves that... Is sort of ahead of him so i think of almost in terms of generations and cycles this current generation for this current core uh, which is what we saw um for uh, their you know recent run at the world cup and they won the bronze like those guys all deserve their spots coming back like i'm not bumping any of those guys especially the nba guys the secondary guys i mean that's where i'm more willing to have a conversation right if if wiggins wants to come in i think there's a big spot for wiggins to come in right but do you even start wiggins for example because mm-hmm. you look at the way they, they operated this past year. It was uh Dylan Brooks. I mean, based on what he did, I'm not I can't bench Dylan Brooks based on what he did. Shea obviously is gonna play point. So then three was RJ. It's hard to tell RJ to not come and, and start because first of all he's off, been the most committed. He's been the most committed. Second of all, his dad's the GM. <laughs> so is Wiggins gonna then come in and play four? Well then all of a sudden you're already at a size mismatch. I because, do like
2: that option as a as a bench
0: and later unit. Right. So you might be telling Wiggins, you can come, but you might not necessarily start, which is wild to me. And
2: this is before factoring, where does Jamal Murray fit in? Exactly. Because Murray did make the commitment and had an excused absence this offseason because, you know, coming off an NBA finals and the ACL injury that cost him two postseason runs before that.
0: At least in the case of Jamal, though, he did come down to training camp. He was with the team. And you can understand that, I mean, obviously, I understand that Wiggins couldn't play because of the, the, the broken rib. Like, that's very serious. Uh, but in, in Jamal's case, like he's shown that commitment as well. So I don't know. I mean, it's all, it's always a big thing. Somehow I feel like it's all it's a little unfair that Wiggins also gets to be the face of this. Like, oh my God, you know, M- you know, NBA players aren't showing up to the men's team, and he, for Canada,
2: he's showing up. He has shown up. That's the thing, exactly, yeah. right? Not so, every single time, but
0: you know, twenty fifteen. He was every single one. Yeah, twenty fifteen.
2: Right? He was obviously there, and, and then the last chance qualifier in Victoria that that where they came up and uh, he was a bucket awesome short against well, who's it? Tomas Sadaransky? Yeah, we'd um, have to go over yeah. that.
0: But yeah, he had a crazy fade away over Lou Dort. That was like Lou was like maybe within yeah. two centimeters of blocking that shot. So tough. Uh, tough. Chris Boucher blocked the three yesterday. By the way, the Raptors did that a, a couple of times. Let's
2: take a break. Let's talk about on the other side what that second unit is going to look like because there are a lot of bodies for even if they run a 10-man rotation that that means there's only five backup spots in a in a given game and there are more than five bodies uh to fight for those so let's take a break uh when we come back on the raptor show on the sports at radio network and sports at 360 let's take a preview of what this bench is going to look like with uh, blake murphy and william Liu.
0: Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Liu, joined for the last segment by co-host Blake Murphy. Blake, are we going to talk about the bench? Yeah,
2: I think uh, I think coming off of that great interview you did with Chris Boucher, it makes sense to uh, try to figure out what, obviously, Chris Boucher started yesterday with Jakob Pertl out. But yeah. we know that there is going to be, look, we have a very good sense of who the starting five is going to be. Gary Trent was actually asked about this. At practice today, and and this kind of, again, plays off of a, a comment Chris Boucher gave you. Sure looks like Dennis Schroeder is installed as the starter. Mm-hmm. It sounds as if this has not only been the case in the two preseason games, but all throughout training camp, Gary has been working with the yep. second unit. So yep. we have some certainty there. And as we look to project ahead to what that second unit is going to look like, even if new head coach Darko Ryakovich is... is Correct, in that he's going to run a 10-man rotation, and that would be uh, some whiplash for us, and it would be deeper than we're used to seeing. The Raptors used their bench less than any team in basketball last year yep. um, with just 72 and a half bench minutes per game. There are not a lot of bench minutes to yeah. go around. Like, even if you play your five starters 30 minutes only each, yeah. that is still only 90 total bench minutes to go around. Mm. So there is going to be a, a crunch here, and let's start with Chris Boucher then. How big a role do you see Chris Boucher playing, and what specifically is that role in the second unit? Is it the backup five working some of that DHO and elbow stuff, or is it going to be, you know, more of a kind of perimeter four role for, for Chris Boucher that you think?
0: So, I think it's not going to be too different, uh, his offensive role in, in that regard. I think, in terms of sort of how Darko has spoke about it, and obviously, we haven't been able to see it because. Uh, Precious Achu has been out with injury the last two games in preseason. And hopefully he comes back. I think he's been, he went through a full practice today and he's been questionable for tomorrow. tomorrow. That usually sounds like he's going to come back unless there's some sort of last second uh, uh, mishap. But it sounds like they'll use him more in that sort of like playmaking hub role at the five. And so I think that what that leaves Chris with more is being able to run in transition, being able to make those cuts. Guys keep finding him. I love the fact that the Raptors keep making these extra passes. OG did it in both game one and game two. Uh, of preseason. Scotty's been doing a lot. He had a beautiful touch pass, um, and they, they worked some great sequences. And Chris is always a recipient of that. If you watch the film, he consistently outruns the opposing team center mm-hmm. or pigs, sometimes even their wings down the floor. Um, and so, you know, there is that sort of ability. He was already a really good cutter. So, you know, when we saw, for example, a couple of years ago, it was when Thad Young first came and joined the Raptors. He really stabilized that bench group. They used to give him the ball in the post, and then he would find guys cutting, and it would a lot of times be Chris. And so I think his role is not going to be all that different. And I, th- I think the reason for me that I want to see Chris in that cutting role rather than sort of more in that dribble handoff role is if you're going to play that triple handoff, you really need to uh, be able to, A, hold your position really well in the post because, again, there's probably going to be a lot of pressure on you because uh, you're probably going to have the ball. Um, and, B, I think you're going to need to screen really well. And I think that if there was a weakness in this game, I don't think Chris has really been that particularly effective as a screener. I almost prefer Precious in that role, even though we haven't seen him all that much in that ability. So... Um. yeah, I mean, I think it's – just like I told him in the interview, I think it's going to work out well for him because there's going to be a lot more cutting in the offense, and he's always been great at cutting.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that part, and I think one of the things that more of these handoffs and operating more through the high post instead of face-up opens up is a lot more opportunity for that, whether it's baseline cut, 45 cut, you know, split cuts over top of the the mm-hmm. the post and things like that. There's going to be a lot more opportunity uh, for that kind of thing. Obviously, Chris wouldn't be in the – you know, cutting out, out to the three-point line, but a lot of the stuff yeah. for – easier buckets around the paint and, you know, catch a defense's inattention. He's always had a knack for kind of finding when his man falls asleep or, or the helps looking the wrong way. Um, so we know that once healthy, Precious True is going to play a pretty big role here as well. Like you said, he'll probably be the guy, you know, playing more of the Jakob Purtle role. Uh, in talking to OG Ananobi the, the other day defensively, it does uh, about the defensive changes. It does sound like they'll probably, when Precious is in at center, they'll probably still look to switch one through five if the situation calls for it, where obviously you're not going to do that with Yaka Pirtle. Um, So that'll be something that will look different in the starting unit, but it'll look familiar to last year in the second unit. And then we know Gary Trent Jr. is going to play a very large role off the bench, the most important offensive piece for that second unit. He'll need to improve the defense, which it looked like in the preseason opener. And then
0: I don't think anyone really played any defense yesterday. I felt like after they went up like 20 to six. Mm -hmm. Uh, after about three minutes, they were like, yeah, okay, maybe we could just, like, we could chill out. Let's let's, let's throw some nice passes and make some highlights. Yeah. Um, we're not losing this game, and they did not,
2: obviously. So there are three spots accounted for then, right? We think Chris Boucher is going to be in there. We think Precious Tachua is going to be in there, and, and Gary Trent's obviously playing a, a very large role. Yeah, You mentioned that Young. There's also Otto Porter, who is fully participating in practice, and Inching closer to game action. I don't know if I that's mean, going to be asymptotic where he gets closer and closer to game action and
0: never actually asymptotic. gets into a game. sick. Uh, I feel like I'm in grade 11 uh, data, data management. Yeah.
2: Um, uh, yeah, quadratic formula. auto right. right. That's not even data management. Um, that's but, the but, advanced functions. And then there's also Jalen <laughs> McDaniels in there. So there are two uh, – there are theoretically two bench spots open if mm-hmm. we've given – three of them to Boucher, Achua, and Gary Trent, and we're already pretty low on distributing those, say, 85 to 90 bench minutes. Yeah. Um, how do you see the rest of that playing out? Because there's not only the the veteran forwards and an interesting guy in McDaniels, who I know you like a lot of his game, there's a Grady-Dick factor in there as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's definitely an eagerness to, like, let's see it all at once. And mm-hmm. I think everyone's so out on last year's team we're just, like, screw everybody, let's just see all the young guys play mm-hmm. as much minutes as possible. We don't even care about the result. That's you'll, never going to be the reality. you care about with the result once the game starts. You have and you're watching everything. That's not going to be the reality. And I, I think for Grady, there's going to be a, a a learning curve that comes along with it. Um, so he will come in the game. He will scramble like like you know like his hair is on fire. And I love that about him. He's going to make quick decisions. He's going to be aggressive with his offense. Um, and if there is an ability to sort of play him, sort of that like maybe five ten minutes a game to start the season, uh, I would be pretty impressed with Darko and the way he's able to manage the rotation. But I also think that. There's other guys right now ahead of him in the depth chart, pretty clearly. That you know, in terms of skills and ability, are, are clearly ahead of him. So, um, I think McDaniel's has shown a really good ability to slot in. I, I don't, you know, he's not on the ball all that much, which is similar to sort of what he did in Charlotte or in Philadelphia as well. Um, he's pretty good defender, pretty disruptive. So, I think especially if that second unit wants to really pressure uh, on defense, switch a lot of actions, and then force some turnovers and, and play in transition um i think that he fits in that identity quite nicely there is a little bit of redundancy between him and i think chris for me um but i do give chris a lot of the edge there because he's bigger he's able to play bigger and also uh he's been with the team a little longer so he knows how to sort of uh, operate with the rest of the guys but yeah i mean Otto, if he's healthy i would love to see him sort of be the two in that kind of position right because i mean we're not first i are not definitely playing all bench lineups but for Otto, he's definitely a very solid bet. When he's healthy, he's able to rebound. He's able to obviously hit threes at a pretty you know, decent clip. Not going to be a high-usage player. Definitely hasn't been that pretty much all his career, but especially not now. Um, he would be ideally the guy I'd pick. But, you know, I mean, there's lots of guys that are going to be left out. Even at a 10-man rotation, there's going to be calls for other guys to sort of change in and out. I, I mean, if, I guess the upshot of that is that uh, Darko has more options, but... I don't know. I kind of like a Vision 6-9 off the bench, at least. You know, keep keeps up, Because it's not like everything they did bad. Or, 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 like, defensively was bad. Right. They, they do good things defensively.
2: And I, I do think it helps, especially younger guys, when you're playing to an identity in those minutes. So, you know, yeah. if it's a chaotic, we're going to force a lot of turnovers and get it in transition. Like, the bench mob year... First of all, it's a it's an unfair anchor point for us to evaluate defense on because like they were only the second all bench unit like ever to be that productive. There was a Clippers all bench unit. Uh, I remember going through like years and years of lineup data, mm. and there was one Clippers second unit that was roughly as good, and they completely fell apart in the playoffs. Um, and then obviously okay. the Ra- we never really got to see the bench mob in the playoffs because Fred got hurt uh, that year right. it, it, with the the shoulder separation. So game eighty two, baby. Yeah, You've got to chase sixty wins. Yes, that was, was a Bam Adebayo with a with a hard screen. We'll, ah, that's we'll what he it. does. It wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't anything wild. But yeah. so look, it, that that is part of this. Also, some of this stuff resolves itself by there will be injuries here and there, and guys will get more opportunities. They, these things are not static. and the way it looks today, doesn't mean it's going to look that way for eighty two. Mm. Um, if they do go with a bit more of a Vision Six Nine second unit, and you know that would. Maybe see Gary as the lead ball handler, and, and to be honest, I don't even know that they have in preseason. I don't know that they're going to run full bench units. I don't know that they should. You're probably they, they
0: shouldn't actually.
2: We saw them stagger yeah. a little bit more last night, where Scotty Barnes was the was with the bench unit for right. for a good chunk of minutes. We also saw um, a lot
0: of Gary playing alongside of Dennis, which is yes. a work in progress. I would say they they definitely made zero plays combined together last night, which yeah uh, could could use some work. That's all. What yeah. do you make of Gary uh,
2: holding? the pass after he passes. The follow through? Like, yeah, yeah.
0: And, and just like freezing with it. Here's, here's the thing with Gary, to understand with Gary, right? Um, like, for example, on media days, he, he finds a way, because media day is like the most uniform day possible. Like, You're literally wearing your uniforms and you're taking all these photos and promotional videos. You're screaming into the camera and then it says, you know, next on Sportsnet, you know, like that, that's that's what media day is for. You go up there for the press conference, but like, you know, you, you do some fun videos, whatever, right? Um, but everyone is wearing their team uniform. Gary has successfully, successfully found a way to just, like, wear the most outrageous footwear possible on those days. And that's just Gary's approach to things. Like, he has, like, a certain flair that he just likes to add on. And if there's an ability, you know what I mean? Like, Gary's the guy where you go into, like, Chipotle and you're adding extra for the this, this spicy mayo. You know what I mean? Like, that's just that's what he does. He just likes to add that little bit extra on. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously the passing is... Something that we we talked about it, I think, last week on this uh, same position. But we we talked about it'd be great if Gary can add that playmaking element to his game, and if he has some fun with it, maybe that incentivizes him to do it more (laughs) often. But yeah, we are talking about very, very basic like five foot passes. Yeah, Uh, but he likes to put the little flair on it. That's just how Gary is, you know.
2: So if that progresses well, or if it ends up that Scotty Barnes is the first starter to come off the floor, and then he kind of runs the second unit, so to speak. is there a spot for, like, it does look like right now Malachi Flynn is getting another chance to run with backup point guard minutes, yes. however few they may be. What have you made of Malachi, both in the, the short action we, we've seen and in talking to people around the team?
0: I think looking at Malachi, he does a decent job of getting the team into their offense. Um, I also think the big difference is, maybe unlike previous years, we don't need a guy to, like, be the future guy off the bench so much. Like, they are running a lot more half-court sets and actions that that can, the, like, the ideally the offense can generate the scoring opportunities for you rather than one guy's sheer overwhelming ability to sort of create that. And I don't think that you're just going to give the ball to Gary and he's going to be Lou Williams, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I thought Malachi's been able to come into the game, set up, like, get the team into their set, space off the floor, and if you can knock down some threes, like, we're, the, the upside is not that high, but at the same time, the ask is also not that high. And, of course, we need to see him defend his position as well, maybe the added bulk allows that to happen. Um, But, uh, I mean, I think for me, I would love to see a bit of extra playmaking ability. Like when plays break down, I want to see somebody, you know, bail that group out because you can lose momentum really quickly if you don't have that element. But... I don't know. I mean it's it's year four for Malachi, so it's kinda of do or you know, now or never. You know, I won't say do or die, it's not that dire, but it's it is kinda of now or never. Yeah, and I do think he's probably a guy who would get
2: another crack from another team. Like I certainly okay. don't think he's he's extension eligible uh here right now.
0: and I Yeah, we have not done a segment on no. uh is, is Malachi no. gonna get an extension. He's
2: headed to restricted free agency, maybe even unrestricted free agency if they decide the qualifying offer is uh is too high on him next off season. Um this is look if you're a, a third string point guard you got to get in where you fit in you you can't really claim well the system didn't suit me or whatever but would you would you accept the argument that a more motion oriented offense and certainly a more conservative defensive philosophy suits Malachi Flynn a little bit better than than the last 3 years did I feel like you could use that argument for anybody though right like I don't know I think some guys thrive in the the chaos and the more scrambly stuff whereas uh you know, like, yeah. like Malachi Flynn... But look, who thrived? Hold on. Well, who thrived in that system? I mean, there were there are guys who got their numbers. There are guys... Who, yeah, okay. I, I don't think offensively it did people a lot yeah. of favors unless you that, were a transition that's what I mean. player. You, yeah, Yeah, it's tough. And, uh, you know, defensively, though, I could see... You know, like there's a stark contrast between how Delano Banton would be asked to defend a pick-and-roll and how Malachi Flynn would be asked to defend a pick-and-roll yeah, in years past. And um, I just wonder how much you subscribe to that with Flynn. And I'm probably reaching here but there it is his fourth year and they did pick up that option and, and they are giving him opportunities here
0: i would give him one last chance you know okay. with it and it's not like one last chance is like oh you've let me down other times it's just like i don't feel like he's he's gotten gone like i don't know i guess you change the coach you uh, the coach is known for player development and the ask is not that high again you come into the game you set up the play you defend your position probably not that many on switches but you defend your position Um, you get your team in your offense, and you knock down two threes, like 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 a Javon Carter. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. can you even get to that level? And if you can, then the spot's been kind of begging for him to take it, right? Like,
2: here's here's an
0: even lower bar to set it to. Oh, okay. Is he? We're just lowering this, like, well, like playing limbo, right? There
2: is, and I explain this a little bit more in a piece I have up at Sports.ca right Right, now. Um. Jeff Dunn Jr. is on the outside looking in when we look at these roster yep. breakdowns because there are 15 guaranteed contracts and then him who with a non-guaranteed contract and we know the three two ways are headed to the 905. We know um, Mo Gay and Maker are headed to the 905. Yep. We don't know what the future holds for Jeff Doughton because he's in a spot where technically under the tax, the Raptors have enough room to cut someone and keep Jeff Doughton Jr. Yeah, they could also try to sneak him through waivers and then re-sign him to a two-way deal and cut one of the two ways. Um I don't know. Is like for you is the bar that Malachi Flynn needs to be demonstrably better than Jeff Doughton Jr. Because if not in year four, like there's a potentially better option in house who they have to make a decision on in, this week, really. Well, they're not going to cut Malachi, though. He's not uh, one of those guys. No, but if yeah. they cut someone else to keep Jeff Doughton Jr. Yeah, 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 and yeah, there right. is a path to him having minutes, I, I'm I don't I, I think you're right. I don't think they they eat the three point nine million on Malachi yeah. Flynn. Um, it's just not great asset management. But there's a scenario where Jeff Doughton Jr. Kind of find like sneaks his way into a roster spot here, and the minutes are headed there instead.
0: Yeah, I, I look, I think what we have seen from Jeff at the 905 level or during his moments last year with the team, even last night when he came into the game, and I mean, like, I wouldn't be too encouraged if I were him. I mean, he came in as the fourth point guard option, right? We
2: saw he was obviously, the 17th- Dennis the seven, 16th guy to to come in, and he's tied for 17th in preseason minutes overall. Right,
0: right. So you saw Dennis at the point, you saw Malachi running back up, and then you saw Marquise Noel. And then game one, I don't even think he even he didn't that many minutes. So he game two, he finally came in. And so it's like, look, I mean, at a certain point, like your actions have to say something, right? And I think the Raptors' actions here are that, you know, they didn't convert us two-way. They gave him a $0 guaranteed contract, which, I mean, I thought you could only do it with phones, not NBA players. <laughs> um, You, you, you... Are barely playing him. And if you do play him, he's the fourth string. Like, it's just unfortunate. I do think he has the ability to contribute. And you might even argue that he's better than Malachi. But I mean, sometimes, you know, you get drafted and this is sort of the pecking order with things. I do think that, like, maybe it's just the age. That's probably the only thing I would look at potentially. It's like, okay, maybe there's not as much upside. But again, we're not looking for upside. We're looking for a backup point guard who can come in and contribute. Um, So I would say maybe Malachi is a bit more offensive pop, if I had to say. If, if I had to say there was a real advantage between those two, but I think at a certain point you get to that level where on the ro- end of the roster where like it's about who is can do the job at that specific moment mm-hmm. more so than like um this sort of great potential with these kind of players you know and that's not to put these guys down like I think like all these guys are willing and 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 capable of getting minutes but for me i i i I think jeff can play a role I think you think jeff can play a role it's not a huge role, but I think he can play it. But the Raptors have consistently shown with their actions. I don't think they really backed that up. And here's the thing I kind of hint at in my article is uh, I think if the
2: Raptors decide he can't play that role for them, someone else is going to before yeah. he can make it to the 905 and they don't have his 905 rights anyway, right. which again, you can go to that article to figure out the nonsense of G League rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, we only have a couple minutes left. Will. the other kind of end of roster guys here. So uh, Mogay McCormaker and the three two ways Harper Jr., Freeman, Liberty and Noel uh, have any of those guys shown you anything in the small spot minutes here against a, a
0: not-terrific Australian team? I mean, JFL came in last night and did a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like we, JFL may be a little aggressive. It was just I feel like there's a very famous troop that uh, can, can, has that acronym. But, um, no, I thought he came in the game and did really well. His athleticism is there. I think the Raptors have a type. You know, every year they like this, like, rangy two-guard. Um, I think it started with the lon right, and then it flowed into, like, Lorenzo Brown, and it flowed into Patrick McCaw, uh, Delano Banton, and now I think you know this is the your, your rangy, tall point guard who doesn't shoot all that well de jour. You know, like that's what they do. So, I thought he did well last night, though. Um, who who caught your eye out of those guys yesterday? Yeah, he- I know you were reviewing the second half tape of of, of uh, Raptors versus Cans, which is uh. Which is impressive. Yeah. I think you and the and, and Azel Tam were the only two who actually did that <laughs> in the last day. Uh,
2: yeah, he stood out to me as well, Freeman Liberty. And yeah. he's a guy who caught my eye a little bit with the Windy City Bulls last year. Um, you know, I don't know that the shooting improvement last year was really shot like 38% on threes in, in the G League. But we're talking about a, a pretty small uh, window, 36% rather, uh, a pretty small sample yeah, sure. there in, in 35 G League games. But he's a guy, I mean, you see it right away. He is aggressive slashing. He's a, a savvy cutter. And just I don't know if the overall defensive level is there yet, but he's a guy who is clearly very effortful there. So when it comes to two-way guys, and, and, you know, I'm thinking of these guys as what are they going to look like for 905, not for what could they contribute if called on by the Raptors because we just went through that their third unit might not get enough minutes as it is, Uh, but I think he's going to be a a really nice uh, 905 piece for them. And I know Bulls, uh, some smart people who cover the Bulls, who I I trust their opinions were upset to see him signed by Toronto, that's usually a a decent
0: sign too. Yeah. And, you know, I I think that, again, like the Raptors need more guards sort of in the pipeline. You know what I mean? Like you just need more of these prospects available. Um, But then again, when you're describing this, I'm like, damn, that sounds a lot like Jeff (laughs) Down. Yeah, although I mean, and, Doughton, and that's what we just put in all yeah. this effort to develop. So, yeah, I don't
2: Doughton, know. you could certainly uh, put the ball in his hands as a as a lead guard a lot more. Like Doughton, okay, yeah, Doughton is kind of the the G League special where like the, they've had. Lorenzo Brown do it they've had Jordan Lloyd do it Saban mm. Lee for for a minute last year mm. before the Suns plucked him up right. is, if you have like a competent floor general in the G League it goes so so far to uh helping your G League team and, and not just helping your G League team win but like making sure your developmental guys are, are in good spots to succeed in getting the ball and stuff like that right so for when Grady's down there for the uh the home opener on November 12th I want to say it is the Raptors are at home and it's an off night for them you think that's the plan, by the way? You think Grady's going to get a couple minutes down there? Or a when both teams are at home and yeah. the NBA Raptors are off, I could see it for sure. Uh, like November 12th, the home opener for the 905. The Raptors are here and off. I don't see why you wouldn't.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's a demotion either. I think it's just a great chance to get them a lot of time. But anyway, that does it for us today. I've been your host, Willow, and you've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. Thanks once again to Chris Boucher. Honestly, shouts to Josh at Raptors PR for helping set that up. Shouts to Blake Murphy, producer and co-host Alex Wong, our board producer Derek Brindale, Jennifer Olnick, David Sis, and J.R. Manitab for helping behind the scenes. We'll be back to
3: talk to you tomorrow.